your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we say it almost Every Sunday in corporate worship, when we affirm our faith, the historic worldwide Christian faith, born of the Virgin Mary. And we sing that affirmation of faith throughout Advent and the Christmas season. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Well, we say it in the creeds, we sing it in the hymns, because it is written in the scripture. First in the prophecy of Isaiah, given more than 700 years before the birth of Jesus, quoted by Matthew, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in the Gospels, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And we just read from Matthew 1, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we we say it, we sing it, because we read it. What do you think about it? Do you believe it? Do you? The doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus is an essential doctrine of true Christian faith. It's not one of those lesser doctrines which causes division among denominations. The one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world has always affirmed and continues to affirm the virgin birth or the virgin conception of Jesus as an essential doctrine of true Christian faith. But it's important for us not only to say that we believe it, but to also have some basic understanding of what this doctrine means and what it means to us, you and me, personally. So today, this is a little unusual for me, the sermon is actually going to have three basic points, and they all begin with the same letter. So I'm a little bit, you know, off my game this morning, so to speak. I once heard it said, well, you know, Pastor Mabry's sermons have no points. But, <laughs> and that's, that's sort of kind of true, but anyway, we got three points. We actually have three points today. Can you believe this? The reality of the virgin birth of Jesus, the reason for the virgin birth of Jesus, and our response. So the three R's. Reality, reason, response. Number one, reality of the virgin birth. In the Gospel of Matthew, right from the start, a situation arises which presents a serious problem. 
Mary, who is legally betrothed to Joseph, becomes pregnant. Joseph knows that he is not the father of the child. In that time and place, in that Jewish culture, proof of sexual immorality could have resulted in dire consequences, including, at least theoretically, at least theoretically, capital punishment. What was Joseph to do? Scripture says that he, being a just man, an upright man, a good man, a good-hearted man, unwilling to put her to shame, unwilling to expose Mary to public humiliation and condemnation, resolved to divorce her quietly, to annul the betrothal without public scandal. So what does that tell us? Well, obviously it tells us that Joseph knew how babies are made. That may sound silly for me to say, but there's a point. You know, and the same is true with Mary. When the angel Gabriel appeared and announced that she would conceive and bear a son, Mary's first response was, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary knew how babies are made. And it wasn't just Joseph himself and Mary herself. The same is true of Matthew and Luke who wrote the historical record in their Gospels. The same is true of the earliest Christians who heard and read the accounts. Now here's the point. Mary and Joseph, Matthew and Luke, all of the earliest Christians knew and understood the realities of human reproduction. Contrary to, you know, uh, some who might suspect who might say that these first century Jewish people were, they were ignorant, superstitious, gullible, unscientific, you know. You, you might hear somebody say, as a way of kind of, you know, excusing or explaining away the doctrine of the virgin birth. Well, back then in this pre-scientific world in which people didn't really understand the laws of nature, they assumed that virgin births could take place or they would just make up these kinds of things. Myths. Myths like virgin births to explain things. To give it a symbolic meaning. Oh, my goodness, do you ever hear that in unorthodox theological circles. Oh, it's just a symbol. It didn't really happen. It's just, it's just something that, you know, the ancient writers wrote about to convey an idea about how special Jesus was. That's nonsense. First century Jews knew where babies come from. That's the reason that Joseph's first response was to, to divorce Mary, to annul the betrothal quietly so that she would not be publicly condemned. But now others would say, well, now, Wes, wait a minute. In the ancient world, there, were, there, were, there was this idea of virgin births in pagan mythology. And that very important people, world rulers, political saviors were supposedly born of virgins. And so isn't this simply a case of Christians borrowing from ancient mythology to build their case for Jesus as king and savior of the world? Now, that's a very good question. That's that's a legitimate kind of question. So I'm glad you asked it. (laughs) There is, in fact, a reference to a virgin-born savior boy in the writings of the Roman poet Virgil in his fourth eclogue, if you care to Google that up, It was written about 40 years before Jesus was born. And the fact is that this Roman 
poetic mythology was written as, well, guess what? Poetic mythology. It's very clear when you read it. This is poetic mythology, but there's absolutely nothing poetic or mythological in terms of a literary genre in the accounts of Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke report straightforward facts, facts which present a problem. Mary is pregnant, and there is only one natural explanation. The other thing is that for Matthew, a Hebrew, a Jew, to borrow from Roman mythology to present the account of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You think Matthew, a Jew, is going to borrow from Roman mythology to speak about this Jesus? That isn't going to happen. That would be blasphemy. So, the virgin birth of Jesus is not an idea that is borrowed from pagan mythology. The virgin birth of Jesus was a reality that came to pass in fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy. And there is a big, big difference. Now, you sometimes hear it said by those who wish to deny the reality and to discount the importance of the virgin birth. And let me try to explain where this comes from. Um, it sort of comes from the need... The, the the felt need, wrongly felt need to, you know, save Christianity for the modern world. Ah, what a joke. But we gotta we gotta save Christianity for our scientifically enlightened world. And so we have to sort of explain why such doctrines such as the virgin birth would have ever, ever risen, and we have to redefine them and redo them and blah 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 blah. Blah, blah. And you end up with the blah, blah, blah of modern liberal Protestantism. That's what you end up with. You end up with a bunch of empty churches. So another one of these criticisms is that the virgin birth is mentioned only in Matthew and Luke. It's mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Sorry, not true. Consider the first chapter of the Gospel of John, the Christmas story in John. You know it by heart. In the beginning was the, and the Word was with, and the Word was, and the Word became and dwelt among us. There it is. In John 1, there is no direct, explicit reference to the virgin birth. It is nevertheless there, so to speak, in between the lines. The eternal word of divine nature became flesh, became human, and there is no reference whatsoever to human procreation. It is clearly understood that the eternal word became flesh, human, not by the natural means of human procreation, but rather by the supernatural and sovereign intervention and initiative of God himself. The word became flesh. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which is an echo. It's, it's actually a, a fulfillment statement as we looked a few weeks ago at Isaiah 9, verse 6, which says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. 
It's sometimes alleged that the Apostle Paul made no reference to the virgin birth. Again, I mean, I got all this seminary I attended, you know, thereby diminishing the importance of the doctrine. Again, trying to save Christianity for the modern world. What a joke. It, Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son, born of woman. Language is very clear. God sent forth his son, born of woman, in fulfillment of Isaiah 9.6. The Son of God came forth from God, not from a man. The Son of God came by way of an act of God, not the act of a man. Yet the Son of God was born of woman. The virgin birth is implied, logically deduced from that verse in Galatians and other passages which imply or assume the virgin birth. It is right at the core of the essential message of the New Testament. Now, one last point about the reality. This is all point number one, first R, reality of the virgin birth. Someone may say, well, it didn't happen because it couldn't happen. Because those kinds of things don't happen. Right? Couldn't happen. Didn't happen. Because those kinds of things don't happen. In other words, it's impossible. Well, okay. It's impossible. But that's exactly what Mary said. How will this be? Since I am a virgin. It's impossible. Yes. Virgin birth is outside the realm of possibility within the natural order of things. But God the Creator is outside, over, and above the natural order of things. And as the angel Gabriel said, nothing will be impossible with God. So when someone objects to the reality of the virgin birth, that person may likely really be objecting to the reality of God. Let me ask you this question. What is the difference between life coming out of a virgin womb and a universe being created out of nothing? What's the difference? What's the difference between life coming out of a virgin womb and life coming out of a stone-sealed tomb. Nothing will be impossible with God. And that is the only sure foundation of hope for your salvation and mine. So that gets us to our number two, the reason for the first, the reason for the virgin birth. Now, first of all, we got to get rid of the underbrush, get rid of the wrong reason, get rid of the mistaken reason for the virgin birth. Some people seem to think that Jesus had to be born of a virgin because they suppose that the sexual reproductive act had to be avoided or circumvented as though, as though, as though sexual intercourse is sinful or shameful in and of itself or beneath the character of Jesus so that he had to be 
shielded from it, detached from it, disassociated with it. Well, all that's wrong. It's crazy. It's unbiblical. That's not the reason for the holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus. God created human sexuality. Read Genesis 1. Read Genesis 2. What was the first commandment that God gave? Be fruitful and multiply to a man and a woman united in marriage. God created human sexuality. God designed the human body, male and female, for sexual intercourse in marriage and commanded sexual procreation within the covenant of marriage. In the Garden of Eden, before sin ever entered the world, it's all right there in Genesis 1 and 2. So the, the reason for the virgin birth has nothing to do with any kind of prudery or something of that nature. The reason for the holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus was to show us, to teach us, to reveal to us that Jesus did not come into this world by the natural power of man, that he does not owe his existence to a human father, that his identity is not defined by a human father, that he is not a creature. He is a truly human, he is truly human, but not a mere creature. His sinless character, his divine attributes cannot be explained by human parentage. The holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus revealed to us that his origin and his identity are found in his eternal relationship with his eternal father. And by the way, there's nothing, there's nothing perverse about the holy conception and virgin birth of Jesus as there is in pagan mythology. In pagan mythology, the gods, the gods have intercourse with women. That's not what this is about. That's not what the holy conception and virgin birth is about. Rather, when we say that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, we mean that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, without the natural means of a man, breathed the life of his Son into the womb of Mary. Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's nothing sexual about that. That's imagery that comes right out of the Scriptures, right out of Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters at the dawn of creation. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, as it were, of Mary's virgin womb to bring forth the new creation, this new man, the Son of God, born of Mary. Or, remember, in the beginning God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. Well, in the same way, it is as though, it is as though, so to speak, God reached down with his holy hand and took the dust of Mary's womb, the essence of her true humanity. And out of the dust of Mary's essential humanity, God brought forth the new Adam, the second Adam, the true Adam, the true man, the Son of God in human flesh and blood without a sinful nature. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
Why? What's the reason for the holy conception and the virgin birth? Why? Well, the next line of the creed tells us, and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. This is exactly what the scriptures teach us. Why did the word become flesh? Why did the Son of God come into the world as the Son of Mary? Why did God send forth his Son, born of woman? And the answer is to die a human death. To die a human death which would destroy the power of death and remove the curse of death from all creation. Listen to what the scripture says, Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's his divine nature. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's his human nature in perfect unity. That's the reason that the Son of God took upon himself a human nature, lived for us, to die for us. Son of God united himself with humanity so that as one of us he could live for us and die for us. And therefore Philippians 2 says of Christ Jesus that being in very nature God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing being born in human likeness. Why? So that he might live for us in perfect, sinless, humble obedience to his Father, obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross, on which he bore the wrath of God against our sins to deliver us from that wrath, so that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, you've heard me ask this question. I asked it on Christmas Eve night. Love it. Here, you know the answer. Ready, set. Can God die? No. Can the eternal, immortal, invisible, ineffable one die? No. God cannot die. But could God, if it so pleased him, could God become a man who could die a human death? Could God unite himself with human nature and take on flesh and blood? Who could die and by his death swallow up death forever? Could he, if it so pleased him? Yes, but would he? Would God? The eternal, immortal, invisible, ineffable, all-powerful, all-glorious one humble himself and become a man who could and would suffer the excruciating and humiliating death of the cross. Would he? For me? For me? And now we come to it, you see. Our response, the third R. Our response to the virgin birth is something that's very personal for you and me. It's not an abstract doctrine anymore. It has to do with your 
personal, real, connected, reconciled relationship to your almighty, holy creator to whom you are accountable. And it may seem strange to think of it this way because the virgin birth is a miracle and and so we think that it would point primarily to Jesus' divine nature, but in fact, the virgin birth, born of woman, actually points not only to the divine nature of Jesus, but to his human nature. This is the whole point. He didn't didn't come into the world as an angel. He didn't come into the world. He didn't just zoom down from heaven. He, He took on human experience, the moment of conception, from the moment of conception. He lived this human life in in this divine union of divine nature and human nature. It's the key to our salvation. The divine Son of God in His humanity. Let's think about this. The divine Son of God in His humanity is your only personal connection to the Creator. That's the reason that He is our mediator. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, the God-man. He, connect, he, in his humanity, connects us, reconciles us, unites us to God. Otherwise, we, in our humanity, in our fallen humanity, we'd have no connection. It's, it's, it's the Son of God in his humanity, taking our humanity upon himself from the moment of his conception. Growing, living. Breathing, sweating, bleeding, dying. Fallen sinful humanity cannot raise itself into a reconciled relationship with God. But God has come down to us as one of us. He is connected to you by way of his humanity. He knows what it is like to be you. He knows what it is like to live in this fallen world. He wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He knows what it is like to be tempted. He knows what it is like to be misunderstood. He knows what it is like to be despised and rejected. He knows what it is like to suffer. He felt pain. He loved. He grieved. He confronted injustice. He suffered injustice. Crucified, dead, and buried. The virgin birth speaks to us, shows to us, reveals to us the gospel of our Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in human flesh and blood for the sake and purpose of bearing our sin and shame himself for us and for our salvation. And here's the deal. No other religion in the history of the world, no other philosophy, no other worldview, no other spirituality has ever dared to claim or to propose anything like that. There is the reality of the virgin birth. There is the reason for the virgin birth. And there is, therefore, the necessity of our personal response to the virgin birth, our personal response, that is, to the one who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. You can't just 
walk away from the gospel of Christmas and say that it doesn't matter because if this doesn't matter, nothing matters. So what must our response be? Our response must be the response of faith which Mary herself gave in response to the angel Gabriel's announcement. Let it be to me according to your word. Yes, let it be to me according to the word of God, according to the word of the gospel. Let it be to me that the Son of God came into the world born of woman to live for me, to die for me, to rise for me so that I might be set free from the fear of death and live forever for the glory of God. Let it be to me according to your word. That in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, I find the fullness of everlasting salvation through his perfect obedience on my behalf and his human blood shed for me. His human death. The eternal, infinite God who cannot die has in the depths of his own eternal being in his son Jesus Christ experienced Human death, been there, done it, and undone it. Swallowed it up and spit it out forever. Let it be to me according to your word. That the Son of God became the Son of Mary, that by his grace and mercy and power, I might be born of his spirit and become a child of God. So let it be according to you. Let it be to you according to God's promise. Let it be to you. For you and for your salvation. He came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And was crucified also for you under Pontius Pilate. And on the third day rose again. From the dead. Let it be to you according to God's word. And to God be the glory. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, O Lord, that your word will renew our minds transform our lives so that we, trusting in your grace and power, might live for your glory, no longer for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised to the honor.